0: Hello, and welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited you can join me today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Now, on the Silicon Alley Podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs and top performers to understand what it truly takes to grow and scale a business. You'll get actionable advice that you can apply in your own business and life. Now, on today's episode, I sit down with Laura Page Hamlin and Graham McKay, co-founders of Artebula, which is a content creation platform that supports children in being imaginative, empowered and future ready by bringing technology and the arts together. Before I jump into Laura and Graham's full bio and what you can expect on today's episode, if you have not already, please make sure to subscribe and follow the Silicon Valley podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every Friday. And of course, if you hear something you like, please be sure to share the podcast with others, however you prefer. So today's guests are Laura Page Hamlin and Graham McKay. Laura is a passionate businesswoman and entrepreneur. Laura worked in corporate world as a marketer but felt most comfortable being an entrepreneur. When her fourth child was born with a rare autoimmune disorder, she decided to stay home permanently. And to fund this choice, she used her digital marketing talents to found a successful boutique digital marketing agency, Social Jibber Jabber. In 2018, Laura identified a pain point in the children's art and education market and with a $5,000 government grant began the foundations of what would later become Artebula. Fellow co-founder Graham McKay is the technology leader at Tabula and brings significant experience in both healthcare informatics and finance product design and development. Graham has worked with innovative startup companies, including eFilm and Radometrics, as well as industry leaders Bayer Healthcare and J.P. Morgan Chase. Graham holds a bachelor's degree in applied computing from the University of Strathclyde, as well as being a certified Scrum product owner. On today's episode, "The Art of Productive Screen Time," Laura and Graham discuss the power of creativity and how promoting creative children leads to future innovators. Together, we explore the challenges facing parents and children with the current content platforms and how our tabula is focused on promoting productive screen time. You'll also learn the challenges and benefits of going from solopreneur to teampreneur and how to effectively work as a team across multiple continents. Without further ado, let's get into today's artful episode with Laura Page Hamlin and Graham McKay you got no time to waste but still you hesitate
1: caught in a circle saying i'll never leave this place too.
0: laura graham welcome to the silicon alley podcast super excited to have you both on today nice to be here yeah thanks for awesome. having us yeah absolutely and i'm i'm really excited to talk to you guys because the, the business that you guys are building is really, really interesting in the art space and specifically with children. Can, before we jump into that, though, can you talk to me about what creativity specifically means to you and how that ties into the business?
2: Sure. I mean, um, I grew up with a, a notepad and paper tied to my waist practically and have always been in love with Disney and animation and stuff and thought that that was the direction I was headed into. Um, so creativity to me is, is imagination and just you know, dumping your thoughts on paper and creating passions from imagination and creativity. Like, it's just such a big, it's everything. Really, creativity is everything to me.
1: (laughs) Uh, Mine's slightly different. Um, I I was creative as a kid, but more in the kind of designing stuff and building stuff and taking apart and seeing how it was made. Okay. And then obviously my career in software development now kind of just builds on that um it's it's creative and another side of stuff you're, you're building uis and building stuff that people will use rather than the kind of more arts and crafts side of uh, creativity Um so yeah, it's uh, to find out how stuff works and the more design and engineering side of creativity than the actual art side of it
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I think creativity is, is there's so much there, right? You could look at it strictly from the arts and crafts or look at it from designing software and building experiences. What do you think the importance of creativity is in society? And I think this will like very neatly back into what you guys are doing and how you're approaching creativity in the space.
2: Um, what I think is interesting is, is this company was founded on the beliefs that Children, in order to be ready for the future, to be twenty-first century ready, need to have that creativity and imagination component because those two actually translate into innovation down the road. So that's what we're really trying to harness here. Um, and that's why we ended up going the way we are with this business.
1: Creativity so and kind of pushing those boundaries when kids are younger is is what leads to the Kind of, uh, Elon Musk and um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs of the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We hear this narrative about how like innovation is dying. There's less businesses being started now. At least I'm looking from the US lens. I don't know the statistics globally, but in the US, less businesses being created now than we're in the 70s and 80s um, and less businesses around. So I think that, that you're you're spot on there in terms of the creativity and innovation, especially when it ties to entrepreneurship. So talk to me about what led to the idea for Artebula and then how you guys have kind of built from there.
2: Okay, so um, I'm a mom. I've got four kids and the three little ones are extremely creative, as you can see behind me. (laughs) Um, And so what was, was happening was I was getting busted throwing things in the recycle bin and me coming from that background of always having the pen and paper in hand and knowing how important creativity is for our kids future. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm squashing their creativity what can we do to harness this creativity? And when I pulled out my smartphone to take a picture of it before putting it in the garbage, my daughter lit up. She was like, oh my God, this is good enough to make your phone. Like she was, (laughs) I know she was just blown away. She was four at the time. And I was like, I think there's something here. (laughs) And um, that's sort of where it spawned from. And I have a marketing background and an entrepreneurial background. So I had the idea of sort of what it looked like from that perspective, but I had no idea how to build the technology, nor did I know how to scale the business to where I wanted it to be. So,
1: yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, actually, the the kind of middle section um, is we have a friend in common. Um, Laura and myself have a friend in common who just happens to be an incredible business person. Um, And when Laura reached out about the idea for a Tabula um Catherine who's our, our kind of other business partner got straight on the front to myself because we've worked together previously in technology companies um and spoke to me about it and and as soon as she was kind of explaining the the concept of me uh, to me um the kind of product owner person and me came out and uh, started seeing where it could go and and really building into this kind of content management system uh for kids and, and lets kids be creative and it's Kind of excited me because it's technology that, as a child, I would have loved, and just the technology wasn't there when I was younger. But but um, now it is there, and to be able to use that and build tools that I would have loved when I was a kid, Um, it's kind of how it all became, Artabula. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like
0: everyone can kind of relate to that. Like I'm right now I'm, I'm home in Alabama at my, my mom's house and have gone through old back boxes, trying to clean out the attic and come across different artwork and things like that. And, and it's really neat to have that experience. And it sounds like you guys are really n- not putting it away in the attic and then coming back to it, you know, 20, 25 years later, it's available and it's part of the, the everyday. Yeah.
2: And like that original concept that you know, where that idea came from has really expanded from there. I mean, with Graham and Catherine, the three of us have taken this this beginning idea and really transformed it into something I think that is going to be useful in so many ways for children to, you know, link that creativity and that technology component to produce innovation in the future. So, you know, we needed that team atmosphere to make that happen, and it's been really good. So the seed grew into... (laughs) A plant, which is going to turn into a tree, right, Graham?
0: <laughs> exactly. So, Laura, when you were first came with this idea, you didn't start it right away, right? From my understanding, there was a long period of rumination and kind of, you know, trying to figure out where you, where you could go with this idea. You were entrepreneurial by nature, having started many, many businesses. So what was that part of the journey like leading up to, to meeting Catherine and Graham?
2: So typically I'm an impulsive person Um, and this time, I mean, it felt different. It felt like this was coming from a place of passion and I was like, I can't just jump into this with two feet. I need to do some more due diligence around this and see if this is something viable because if it is, it has legs. And so that's, I did a lot of research ahead of time. I even just spoke to my mom friends and I talked to my brother who was a really good business person and I just, you know, started spinning the idea around to see where that would go. And that was, I want to say about a year. Um, When we moved up North, there is a lot of business development programming here. And uh, there was um, a small business center here in Collingwood that actually was giving grants away to business plans that had, you know, either growing a company or, or whatever, or starting a new business. So I approached them and with this idea of expanding my marketing company to develop apps and they. Took, they were like, sure, awesome. So that was sort of, although the sort of beginning round work, but that was five grand. Like, that was nowhere near what I needed to make this a realization. So, again, that was the seat. But that year and a half or year that I took to do all of that research and stuff and and hemming and hawing was, I think, really important for me to convince myself that this was the right move because I knew what was coming. I knew if this is the right move, there is a lot of work in my future.
1: So absolutely. That, that was
2: the timing there, why that was before I met them.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to dig into the uh, you know the the five thousand dollar pitch pitch competition because that's a strategy that you have used moving forward. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of how you've grown the business, going to pitch competitions. Can you talk to me about that specific strategy um, and what that what that's been like for the business?
2: So we did the grant first, which was a government incentive. And then um, you had to enter into this program and it was like an incubator and they were the ones that approached, um, I guess it was us at this point, eh, at that point it was the three of us. So they approached us and said, Hey, we think that you have a really good in for this pitch competition, which was just a small community one um, that, you know, we competed against. I think there was 30 applicants, which was awesome. And we won it, which is great. But that experience was absolutely—I mean, it was amazing. Like that, us being a brand new team and being able to put together this pitch deck and have me being an entrepreneur who came from very small businesses to having Catherine and Graham on the team who worked for like huge companies that exited—you know, that that were successful and exited. I think that gave me a real like advantage over the other people. And then I think with my marketing and my my, uh, public, not public relations, my public speaking background, I was really able to deliver on that pitch. So that was a great experience. And it actually opened up doors with a lot of other investors um, that we haven't even touched yet because we don't want to go there yet. But people were very interested in what we had a year and a half ago before we even had a prototype. So that was a really good indication that we were still on the right path. So it was a very good experience and I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that approach. Just getting the idea idea out there, getting feedback it sounds like it's been really, really fruitful for for you guys specifically in terms of validating the product and building it and, and getting to where you are today. So you now you guys are not on the same continent. So can you talk to me about working working across continents? And this was even before COVID and all that, which now you know is even more prevalent in terms of being able to work remotely. But can you talk about how how that's been in
1: that dynamic? I think from my point is, um, it's um how I'm used to working. Um nice. previous three companies um that I've been a part of have all been mixed out to of Toronto. Um so I'm used to having that time difference and, and that that distance. Um actually works really well for me. Um it lets me get up in the morning and Five hour time difference means uh, you guys in Canada and the U and Central US come online about two in the afternoon for me, two three o'clock. So I have that whole morning to catch up on emails and stuff from the night before, um, do like the life admin stuff, Um, and then I'm I'm ready to go by nine AM Eastern time, um, and it just means typically that I work on a bit later at night till like seven, eight o'clock at night, um to get most of the day with the US. Um but yeah in technology, um particularly in the, the kind of software startup companies that I've been working in, most of us been remote anyway. Um so for me it's it's kind of the norm. I've with the exception of two years, um when I went to work in the financial industry, it's it's how I've worked my, my whole career. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that makes it easy then for that yeah, transition yeah. in terms
1: of working hey, across. I think it's maybe a lot a bit more different for Laura. <laughs> yeah,
0: having having been solo for the most part, from my understanding.
2: Yeah, that was uh that was super interesting going from solopreneur to, to teampreneur, I guess, because um, you know, when you're used to just working on your own timeline and all of a sudden you're balancing three different people's schedules as well as with COVID, as you mentioned, coming into play. That was insane. <laughs> that was <laughs> All of a sudden, my kids are at home, and I mean, the benefits of that is I was able to wake up super early in the morning and work for three hours before the kids got up, and that actually works better with Graham's schedule in certain cases because he was up, I was up, so we had this bigger overlap in the mornings, and it forced me to navigate my life a little bit differently so that I could balance the two, you know, the homeschooling and then the children and homeschooling in the house and the business. It was it was a bit mental, but. It's my first time working remotely with Graham. I've had, had clients in the past that have been all over, but um, I, I've liked it. I mean, I like that video conferencing has been awesome. And, you know, I think it's been really important for us. I think we learned quite quickly that having the face-to-face was very important as we were feeling each other out, right? Because we'd never worked in a business together before. I was the newbie. Graham and Catherine were... <laughs> multiple businesses together so it was important for us to have this visual contact which is super cool with you know video technology to be able to do that so that we can see facial expressions and and feel each other out as opposed to just verbals right
1: so it means the time where we are and the times when we get to be in person um which unfortunately hasn't been for a while because everything going on but but the times that i've been over in toronto and we've been meeting face to face it means they're so much more productive um, because you have all the stuff you need to get through, you're, and you know that it's going to be another two or three months before we're in the same room together. Um, so it's a lot more focused when we're actually in the same room together and, and trying to get through the work that we need to get through when we're in person.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great point. The distinction of yeah, when you're when you're in person, it makes that time a lot more fruitful and productive, and yeah. you get the face to face contact that you don't you don't get through uh, through video experience. So. In terms of um, sort of where, where the business is today, so, so COVID hit, there were plans that had nothing to do with COVID that kind of got thrown off. So can you talk to me about the launch and how COVID impacted uh, that specifically?
2: What launch? <laughs> we kind of got drowned out by COVID news. Um, we, we planned to launch in March and we launched on Friday the 13th. And a week later, Canada and the UK were in lockdown. And so, all of our strategy that had around launch, we had a few alumni associations that were going to push it out from, from my universities and colleges. And then we had some media that was willing to push it out. And then everybody said, sorry, it's all COVID from here on out. So, it, re- it really forced us to reevaluate how to get this message across, which led to some really cool things. And uh, we ended up making a lot of decision changes, um, which we're implementing still today. But one of them is a resource center and I'll pass it to Graham to tell you more about that.
1: Yeah. Um I mean the, the launch itself was actually quite comical as Laura said. It was Friday the thirteenth. So not only was it Friday the thirteenth that we were launching, um I was actually in Toronto. Um we had had meetings that week together, um all three of us, and um I was due to fly home on The Sunday or the Saturday. So we launched on the Friday morning, and I remember waking up on the Saturday and calling Lauren and Catherine and saying, Guys, the UK's (laughs) gone into lockdown and I don't know if I'm getting (laughs) home. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, so like our launch was overshadowed not only in the media, but with everything going on in our own lives too, like trying to get out of the country and get back to the UK. Um, So it was a bit of a crazy time, but yeah we've it's it's made us reevaluate kind of some of the stuff we're doing um and by speaking to parents and and getting feedback from our current users um we've actually repositioned the the company and the app totally um we were very focused on the parents and the saving the artwork and, and decluttering your house um but parents very quickly became overwhelmed um, with everything that was going on. They were homeschooling kids. They they, they were trying to manage their day jobs when they, the mm-hmm. kids were at home as well. They just didn't have time. Um, so we took that as an opportunity um, for us to to launch a resource center, um, which we're still in, it, it's, it's launched, but we're still adding to all the time. So a resource center is um, kind of online tutorial videos that, that children can sit down and learn to draw, learn certain science experiments, um there's um a lot of the content on there we've tried to do is peer learning so we we're we're recording the children teaching other children how to do certain arts and crafts and draw stuff um with the thinking being that um it's something that the the kids can sit down and do independently from the parents while the parents are busy trying to do other things um so that is some of the feedback that we've been getting from from our, our um our users and how we can help them out and then trying to address that within the app itself.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Being able to make that pivot, and obviously not the dream launch that you'd uh, that you'd hoped for, yeah. but being able to to pivot and, and uh, help support parents, which you know throughout COVID and still now are just having to homeschool and balance work and everything else. It's just been a crazy, crazy time.
1: It's it's created problems that we solve as well. Um, Some schools going back and kids and their artwork. Some parents might necessarily not want the stuff coming home from school getting into the house so all that kind of artwork and stuff the kids are doing at school and um we're now kind of promoting the idea of keep it in the garage and take pictures of it when don't actually bring it into the house Um so a lot of families are the kids are leaving their their school bags in the garage and and not bringing that stuff into the house so it's where a table is perfect you can capture all that artwork without bringing it into the house physically
2: and then remove the guilt of throwing it out because you've got it in the yeah. digital portfolio so it's a win-win <laughs>
0: I yeah i love that yeah marie kondo would be would, would approve of that uh of that method. <laughs> yeah. i think yeah. so <laughs> so i i, I want to dig in on one thing specifically in the resource resource center that you that you mentioned graham the uh peer teaching so the the children teaching other children where did that idea come from? And what has been the response specifically? Cause I, one, I just, I love it. So I'm, I'm curious. I think the Catherine. idea came from
1: Lot. Oh, was it came Catherine from Catherine.
2: Catherine. There, the she was like Little makers. Yeah. yeah, it was Catherine. Um, I, she suggested that we use my children to create these videos. Yeah, and you know what, to be quite honest, um, my, from experience, my children are so disappointed when their artwork doesn't turn out like the stuff that they're seeing on YouTube. Uh, because it's parents and moms and like crafters that are making these amazing finished products. And so when Catherine brought it up, I was like, oh my God, my kids would love that because now it's like realistic achievements. Excuse me. Um, Like this, for example, is my, my, he was five at the time, he made this and it's not perfect by any means. It's like, you know, they can make that on their own and it's not perfect. And they see it's not perfect because a little maker made it. Right? If he can do it, I can do it, where it's not like this overachieving, you know, or not overachieving, sorry, overqualified mom doing it. And then the child is disappointed with their artwork. So I felt like that was really rewarding and a self-confidence builder for young people. So when Catherine mentioned it, I was all in. And then, um, and then they thought, like, why don't we invite other kids to do this from all over the world? And we haven't quite dove in strong on that yet. But we do really want to see that happen. We want to see international inclusion on the Little Makers Club, if that's how yeah, it stays named.
1: We, we have a couple. It grew from just art as well. Um, there's a couple of, uh, they're currently called Little Makers, um, in the UK as well. And there's videos on there of like home baking, there's science experiments, and it's all kind of peer-led. Um, and yeah, when, when Catherine kind of come up with the idea and we started putting about with it, actually looking into it there, there's research that shows that um children actually learn better from people who are in the same age bracket as them well. um, they talk to each other on a different level and they um there's a lot of research around schools and, and universities and, and peer-led courses and um the the impact that that's having on their learning and, and it's actually a more effective way to teach um so that just kind of spurred on the um let's have kids teach kids
2: Mm-hmm. And it really supports our company values, right? Like we really want to, we really want children to be able to learn in all different facets of life and learning through play or STEAM education, which is science, technology, engineering, art, and math are excellent ways for children to learn. So they're not only, you know, fine tuning their motor skills or engaging different parts of the brain, but there's so many more things happening. And that peer to peer is really a great way to push that.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that. I'm all in on the Montessori method. I went to Montessori schools Mm -hmm. and that's a big component of it is being able to teach your peers or, you know, students maybe a grade or two below and that teaching aspect helps you yourself master those concepts, which it sounds like is happening for the, the, um, the, would you say the, the, what were the, what was the term? Little makers. Little makers. Little makers. Yeah, for the little makers. So What's the vision for um, Art Tabula when you think about where you want to be as a company and like what, what the, the real impact that you want to have? What does that look like?
1: The kind of one-liner vision we have is, is making 21st century ready children. Um, so giving children the tools um, to build their independence, to um, help build them as people through um, using art and technology or the arts and technology um so everything that we're kind of doing just now is it, it's fun for children but it's actually helping them develop skills so having the the resource center that children can browse um, and pick which arts they want to do and um, or which experiments or or what they want to build mm-hmm. Um having them browse that catalog and, and pick that themselves and then do it themselves and then decide whether or not they want to take a picture of that, and then from there, whether or not they want to put that into a poster or a book, it's teaching them decision making and independence, and it's teaching them all these kind of life skills as well as the motor skills of doing the actual things themselves. So that's really where we want to push the company and building these um, content creation tools and content management tools um, and the kind of education tech space. Um that let kids grow and develop using the arts and combining that with technology so that they've got the skills that they're going to need when they're older and go into the big, bad world.
2: Yeah, we don't believe that there's more weight to be put on either one of them. We, like, we believe that there is there needs to be a link between the two. Like, I'm a firm believer, and this is where Graham and I balance each other out. <laughs> I'm a big believer of, like, hand to paper and, you know, learning through touch and feel and doing. And Graham still believes in that, but he also is the one who's like, no, like, we cannot remove technology from this equation. And this has to be a big part of the equation because let's all face it. The world is going in that direction. There's no removing it. So, you know, am I doing my children a disservice by not letting them use iPads or telephones or smartphones? Am I doing it? I might be. So this is my compromise for people (laughs) who are like, okay, well, this is linking arts and technology. So they're getting both components in one. It's really
1: brilliant. um, I've been been using the term, it's useful screen time. It's productive screen time as opposed to Unproductive screen time
2: right which yeah. by the way when they're in our app and they're in our resource center when the app launches which will be hopefully in October um, they cannot leave that app like they can't end up on one video and then go down a rabbit hole and end up somewhere else so that's a good thing for parents that's why parents will want their children to use our resource center is because they will be confined in that barrier of our resources so the children can't wander which I think is really important for young people right now.
0: Yeah, when, yeah, when you think about like TikTok and kids getting yeah. consumed on TikTok or YouTube, the next video that's gonna keep you on, and yeah. that's the whole algorithm, is how, how can we keep you on the platform for as long as possible, um, regardless of whether it's yeah. beneficial or valuable to the actual consumer. Um, so I really, I like that approach. What, what made you make that decision? to put those barriers in place? Because it would be easy as a startup to say, well, we want to you know, maximize the screen time and all that stuff. What made you make that decision?
2: For me personally, I think it came because I didn't want my kids going down the rabbit hole. Therefore, maybe other parents thought that way as well. And when we did our surveys, we had those. Kind yeah. Of those.
1: yeah, there's a, a lot of feedback. of um, if, if your kid wants to go and find a, a video on YouTube or somewhere like that where they're learning to draw something, um, there's a lot of other content around that that suggested videos or next videos that may not be related and, and isn't necessarily productive. They may end up on videos of how to do certain levels on video games, for example. Um so that was a lot of feedback that we were getting was around um parents are really they're they're not that comfortable letting um their children roam free on content management systems like youtube tiktok all that sort of stuff because they could end up in a place that the parent doesn't want them to be so by having it kind of that confined environment where um the the videos are all hosted by us for the content and it's within the app and there's no way it doesn't skip onto another video it doesn't skip onto another uh channel or anything like that it's it's all focused around um the kind of science and uh, engineering and arts kind of um content videos that we have um so it's it's always going to be a kind of educational or creative video that comes up it's never going to take them into a place that the parent doesn't want them to be
2: and on that note um we talked about you know these parents being back saying they want their kids to be independent when you allow them to roam free on other content platforms they actually remove that independence because now parents have to come and intervene and put them back on the right path. Whereas I think a parent would feel very confident letting their kid roam freely on the Artibular Resource Center because they can't get anywhere else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, that peace of mind from a parent's perspective of I, if they do somehow manage to wander out, it's going to be something productive and creative that I know I don't have to worry that it's going to be some blood and gore video game or, or whatever the next you know, suggested video is that, uh, that may not align with what you're trying to teach your, your children. Right. Can you share any, any stories or, or feedback from some of your customers, some that are some of your favorites that you've, that you've gotten so far?
2: Like as far as wins go, <laughs> I'd say that that my favorite story right now, because it was a pretty huge win, is we got connected with a daycare center that has like 36 daycares across Canada. And when I spoke to her on the phone, she's like, this is so brilliant. I cannot wait to share this with all of the daycares in here. Um, I can see how useful this is for parents and she did that and it was amazing and to me that was a huge win because it was it was that confirmation again especially having gone through everything that we've gone through Graham right yeah, um, yeah. to have somebody like high five you over the phone and be like what a great idea I can't wait to share that that was pretty huge um, the survey think, was really good too right Graham yeah.
1: from from the kind of parents point of view as well um we we went through a kind of stage of interviewing people and, and sending questionnaires to people, uh, to users over the, the app. Um, and it was particularly around the kind of storage aspect of it um, and keeping all the artwork safe and in portfolios and organized. And um, the kind of people, uh, a lot of the people we spoke to had never thought of taking pictures of like, their kids' artwork and stuff before. Um, and people were finding uses for the app that even we had kind of overlooked when we were building it. Um so stuff that's not necessarily permanent, like Lego structures, um, stuff that's maybe too big to to bring into the house and to save. Um they were saying, yeah, like I'm able to just like take pictures of this now and look back and the, the kids can look back and say, Oh, remember when I built that big Lego tower and they've got pictures of it in the app. Um so stuff that, that would have been forgotten about um and people are like, yeah now i have a place i can put all this Um i think laura your your son in particular was making some pretty big airplanes out of cardboard boxes
2: insane, insane. And- like unbelievable <laughs> stuff and I, I mean okay so in particular let me tell you a bit about about my son calvin <laughs> <laughs> calvin is um calvin you know is that kid at school that always gets in trouble because he's very active and loves to play, and not with teachers. Um, but when Calvin came home for homeschooling because of COVID, I saw a whole different tune. On oh my God, this kid has an engineer's brain, but he hasn't been he hasn't been able to do that in school because he's had to follow direction, right? So, yeah, I started yeah. taking pictures of Calvin's airplanes, and when he was like seeing that, I was recognizing that behavior his self-confidence level went through the roof and he, the things he came up with are insane. Like he built a two scale um, cardboard airplane that actually floated and it was about five and a half feet long. Wow. <laughs> it floated. I do not even understand. I was like, how did you do that? He goes, I don't know. Let's see if we take this tail off. And he took the tail off and it nose dived and then he put the tail back on and it floated and took the tail off and it tail up. I don't remember what it was exactly, but something like that. <laughs> but you know, by us recognizing these overly huge creations. And by the way, as a mom, being able to say, it's okay, we've got a picture of that in the app. It can go in the recycling now. Huge win. This <laughs> <Like, laughs> bedroom taking up the entire floor for, I don't know, three weeks. And I'm like, it's time to go. <laughs> it's time to
0: go. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and having that permanent place where you can go and revisit those memories and, oh, remember, oh, oh I, I learned about, some aerodynamics and physics from yeah. testing a, a, you know, a five foot long cardboard box airplane that I created. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So when you think about the journey so far, what are some of the, the challenges we talked a little bit about the, the COVID and launch, but what are some of the other challenges that you've experienced and had to overcome um, throughout your journey so
1: far? Um, there's definitely been a lot to begin with i I was balancing a full-time job while trying to get our tabula off the ground with laura that's a huge challenge um obviously in a startup company there's there's no money you don't take salary you still have to pay the bills at the end of the day um so balancing a full-time job with starting a company on the side is is huge and with laura like the same like trying to keep the um keep a household and and homeschool kids while trying to run a business um has definitely been one of the bigger challenges um we've we also the kind of challenge of of actually trying to get it out there and trying to get people using it and trying to get the feedback um has has been some of the big challenges too like we spoke to people and they were like yeah we love it it's such a great idea it's a great app but how do you then take that and get that to the masses? Um, And how do you do that with not a lot of money? Because you're a startup company and you don't have huge investors behind you yet. Um, So there's there's a a lot of challenges in that respect and um, there's a lot of hard work involved um, and a lot of perseverance and um, and Laura's very aware of the cold calling and calling all these nurseries and trying to get the, the word out there and get the brand and the company out there. Is definitely one of the biggest challenges we've, we've had. Um, oh my
2: gosh, that is that was I on a personal level, like biggest accomplishment of my life. is picking <laughs> up the phone and cold calling people. It's so hard, but every morning, I've I've managed to block my schedule. Um, that's been a huge win. Is is now I'm blocking my schedule so that I can find time for everything in the day to make sure that we're doing those calls, to make sure that we're inputting everything in our CRM, to make sure that. That throughout the day, we're still like, there's just so many moving parts and we're a team of three. So I think mm-hmm. when you look at it from that perspective and, you know, um, now the kids are back in school, so it's a bit different, but uh, I gave up my full-time job to work full-time on this. That was a bit of a challenge for our family um, because now yeah. and my husband's like, hey, when are you making an income? And I'm like, I'll make an income when I make an income. <laughs> <laughs> Just trust me, honey, trust me, it's gonna be good. You just watch, I'm, I'm putting, he goes, you're putting your all into this. And I go, I know, that's why you know it's gonna be good. <laughs> so um, that was a really, really big challenge and I'm, I'm lucky to have the support of such an awesome husband in that respect. I know that other companies don't have that similar story, but I do, and I'm proud to yell that to the world. Um, for, for me, also overcoming the whole solopreneur thing was a big challenge. Um, I'm very happy where I am now and I never ever in a million years thought the amount of personal growth I would have done, uh, having joined a team like that coming into this was so much different than it is today. And I think Graham would agree, but, um, mm-hmm. I think like, you know, we, we are a we, whereas in the beginning I felt like it was an I and, yeah. and we are like hundred percent a we, and that is, is such a good place to be having not had that before. Um, I can appreciate all of the good that comes with it, and then any of the bad that's come with it. We, which is like really nothing in comparison to the good, um, has been awesome. So, you know, does that sum it up. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: it's 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 easy. It's easy to sit back as an employee of companies and and point out what could be better and and who's doing what and what they should be doing differently. There's a totally different perspective um, when you're one of the founding members and, and one of the uh, the owners of the company as well. Um, there's a lot more riding on a lot of the decisions and they, there's some decisions we've made around like the development and and um, hiring people to do the development that didn't necessarily work out and overcoming that and going back and, and trying to find other, like, another company that will do the development for you. So, We've had our definitely had our ups and downs um, over the past two years, um, and it's definitely been a, a a growth for for both of us, um, for all of us actually. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been hard work, but it's been fun. Yeah, well, thank you for for
0: opening up about some of the the tough parts of uh, of, of building the business. Um, cause there are so many just different things that you don't think about until you're in it and in the day to day and then yeah. figuring out like, it's easy to isolate and say, Oh, we should do that and that and that. And then yeah. where do you find the time in the day, especially as a small team? Yeah. What's, what's been the best part of entrepreneurship, um, in your experience so far? What have you enjoyed the most?
1: Um, so I, I, I love seeing it come to life. We had an idea. Um and some screen mock-ups, what, nearly two years ago now, Laura? Year and a um, half, two years ago?
2: Uh, two years in February. Like, no, in January. I think yeah. we had the mockups in
1: January, yeah. Um, we had some like wireframes. Yeah. We had some <laughs> mock-ups. Even a backup, that, it's a wire. Um taking it from there, seeing it turn into a real app, seeing it launch, seeing users actually use it um and actually um the the biggest kind of satisfaction for me is we've been very very lucky in that we applied and and pitched and got accepted into a tech incubator um an accelerator yeah accelerator and we're um insanely lucky to be working with some really really experienced entrepreneurs um, there. and residents Um they are and seeing their reaction to our product and where we've come and and how much we've accomplished um was am- amazing and even over the last month or two months with working with these entrepreneurs um that are coaching us and um seeing their feedback on even what we've done in the past month um, it just makes it feel worth it
2: yeah um or the biggest, like our favorite thing about entrepreneur. I forget the question now. I was so into what Graham was saying. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No,
0: I, yeah. know, Just, yeah. Your best part, favorite thing about entrepreneurship?
2: Oh, I mean, all of it. I, you know, there's people that are, that are really comfortable working full time. And then there's people, idea people and imagination people and people who I think just, Want to see something different happen, and I'm I'm that person. I am definitely that person. And although I've I've launched a lot of businesses in the past uh, seven, these eighteen years, um, the best part has always been that feeling of accomplishment when something works. Kind of similar to what Graham just said, but knowing that you were the one who who was a part of that in such a big way is so satisfying. Like you just I don't know. I think you I don't know, do you run your own business? <laughs> like do you know where that's coming from it's, there's a There's a certain spark of passion that comes from being an entrepreneur, and regardless whether you you win or you fail, you always have that that spark and that drive to do it again. It's crazy. It's the weirdest thing, and I, and I think that that is my favorite part of entrepreneurship is that is that spark that comes with it every single time.
0: Yeah. I like that definition that that spark that energy that fire whatever however passion however you want to want to define it but yeah there's something else behind what you're doing besides that you don't have when you're at a at a, at a full-time job. Yeah. What well, what advice
1: would you give to someone that was just starting out? Um it's not <laughs> going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, I saw your not- I saw
0: your facial expression Graham it, yeah. was, it was your eyes just <laughs>
1: It's not <laughs> going to be easy. It, it's it, Starting a company and building a company is mean, not for everyone. Um, you need to be prepared to put in the hours. You need to be prepared to be frustrated. You need to be prepared to be disappointed. Um, and that all comes part and parcel of, of having a company. It's a roller rollercoaster. There's ups and downs. There's extreme highs. But in a lot of cases, there's also extreme lows. So you just need to be mentally prepared. That it isn't like what you see on TV. It's not. No. It's not a breeze where you just walk in and have this multi-million dollar company within six months. uh It takes time. It takes effort, and it it takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of work.
2: What's the expression? It takes ten years to build an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that sounds not not right. the I don't. Yeah. Uh, there is a misconception around entrepreneurship, and and you know when people tell you, oh, you're so lucky because, and you're like. Mm, there was no luck there there was no luck there was a lot of hours um I think my biggest advice is that you will what you get out of it is entirely related to how much you put in yeah. and that is you know if they could use that as their mantra then that then they'll be successful or or not I mean if you only put in five hours a week then unless you have some loophole tell me <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah I think what you put in is what you'll get out of it and that's that's that
1: there's no better feeling though, like it's it's not all doom and gloom. There is no better feeling than seeing something that you've built from nothing succeed and seeing people use it and see people get enjoyment from it, um, and see it doing what you wanted it to do. Um, and sitting back and, and seeing that. I was part of a company um a few years back and we worked our asses off to get this piece of software up and running and it was eventually purchased and I remember walking into a conference um, and seeing the brand that we had built plastered on every wall in the building. Um, and that was a great sense of accomplishment walking up and seeing that building and seeing the brand name wrapped around the building because the company that had purchased it put so much money into marketing and, and her brand had such a good following behind it um, that it was wrapped in the, the whole of the outside of the building was wrapped in it. And that was an incredible feeling.
2: I'm getting goosebumps because I'm picturing our tabula.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Plastered everywhere.
0: Yeah. Laura, I want to ask you this question specifically in terms of uh, when we look at founders, it's predominantly dominated by men. How do we encourage more female entrepreneurship and innovation and support Um, female founders? I love this
2: question. So I am a huge, huge pusher of, of female founders. And um, I mean, I, it is one of my goals through this brand is to have a personal brand that actually goes out and, and promotes that, especially women in tech. And it's coming. I mean, there is no doubt that it's coming. There are so many girls coding now. It's unbelievable. Like there are going to be, there's going to be an influx of women in tech in the future. Um, And although I'm not the techie behind this company, I'm still a woman in the technology sector uh, who promotes the use of technology, safe use of technology. And what did you call it, Graham? The, what was the token word she said?
1: Um, Um, uh, The useful- Productive screen time. Oh yeah, (laughs) productive.
2: Right. So, um, so I do, I do really advocate that, you know, the more of us that go out there and speak at these public speaking events and, and spread the word and I've been doing it, I've been doing it through podcasts and I've been doing it at, well before COVID. I did it at Sheridan college, which is a big college here in that Canada. Um, Just promoting that, like a hundred percent that and saying you can, because we are just as equal as as you, <laughs> as Absolutely. males, it's, it's coming. You know, I mean, we worked hard and strong at it, but I don't think it's nearly the barriers that we had even five years ago. You know, like we have all women are just are doing awesome, and I'm so proud of them.
1: You got yeah. two or three founders are That's right. So.
2: That's right. And then Catherine is one heck of a businesswoman, and she should be out there public speaking. <laughs>
0: exactly no I love that and and I think we need more more women in entrepreneurship and in tech specifically um, the ideas the innovation it, it really I think would improve a lot of the problems that we have built into the technologies that we have that were dominated by you know privileged white kids with a lot of you know ton of privilege essentially um, guys specifically so I think we need to change that so i um you know love that that answer and um, being able to continue to support female entrepreneurs and minorities as well so
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you think about success individually what does success look like for you
2: ah uh, you know everybody always has a very different definition of this um for me i feel like like success is, is a balance Um, we talked earlier about, you know, how hard you have to work, but I think Graham and I both agreed that when we founded this company, we wanted to make it a little bit different in the fact that if somebody needs to go away, they go away. Like we don't hold you to the guns and say, you can't have a life. And for me, I want success to be that I can balance my family and still be a good mom and also have this amazing company. Um, if I can achieve that, I would say that, that we've been, that I've been successful as a human being. Um, and then with we just talked about the whole promoting you know women in business and if i can cover that aspect of of my accomplishments as that would i would consider that a huge win as well and very very successful that would be my biggest definition right there for me
1: yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, can i say more um as working our start, i started a, a lot of work and and you try and have that a lot of people call it work-life balance it was described to me not long ago it was work-life harmony because sometimes it makes you happy to work a bit more and sometimes it doesn't mean you have happy to work a bit more so the, the balance is a bit out but the harmony might be there um so you yeah, having that, that that kind of harmony between my my job um and my my company and my my passion which is technology and um and my my personal life and yeah to see our tabula um to see kids grow up and use our tabula, and then have that platform where they can express their creativity and, and learn um, and really see kids using technology in a way that I, I wish I I had to use when I was younger. Mm-hmm. um i mean i was at the time um, windows 95 was my first computer and i had first pc when i was younger and i spent hours on that thing and i was drawing on microsoft paint on it and spending hours just drawing about um so yeah i, I would deem this as a success and, and my career to be a success if i could see these tools being used by children and and in 10 years time them talking about how they remember using our and and um how it taught them how to do all these different things
0: yeah. Like that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, everyone's everyone's definition of success is different, but there's underlying things I think that really talk about our motivations and what we care about. So I love I love those those responses and how you guys define it. So one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is personal finances. And I, I send out an email before, before uh, our calls that kind of outline roughly what we're going to talk about. And I had these questions in here. And when I sent it out, there's a little bit of a, hey, I don't know if we feel comfortable talking about this, which I'm sure probably you've, the podcast that you've been on, you've probably never been asked to, to have some of these, these questions answered. And I'm, I'm curious before we actually get into them, why did, why did that feel so uncomfortable just right off the bat without... Without having you know the context, I'm curious.
1: To um, so myself, I mean, there's the um, I guess from the, the kind of finance point of view and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm a techy person. I don't really see myself as being someone that you should listen to for financial advice. <laughs> um, so I guess for me, it was more of the kind of experience point of view. Like uh, giving someone advice, or good or bad finance, or, or what's wrong with finance today um coming from my technology and, and actually being Scottish as well uh plays a part into that too um a cultural thing um which is more of I don't see myself as being someone is, is in a position to give advice on that um because okay. it's not my background that is where it came from for me
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing because this is like a taboo topic when we start talking about money. But, you know, coming at it from the advice perspective, it makes it makes a lot of sense. So if you're comfortable, would you mind describing your your relationship with money today without giving advice?
2: (laughs) So so I read I've I've read this book called The Millionaire Mind and, uh, and they talk about your financial footprint and how it stems from how you were raised and how your parents dealt with money around you. And, and my husband and I talk about this often because I'm listening to myself having these conversations with my kids and I'm like, that's so wasteful. You're wasting our money, blah, blah, blah. And like, not that mean, but, you know, um, just to try, this is, these are my ways of trying to teach my kids about money. And I'm like, then I'm on a walk with my husband. And I go, I think I'm doing it all wrong. The millionaire mind doesn't say to do it like that. It says you're, you're like setting barriers and you're creating these bad thoughts on money and so in the house that i grew up in a my parents never talked about money um they didn't talk about how much they made i still to this day don't know how much they made they didn't talk about how much a house cost until i was older um, about what food costs nothing 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 we were very open and honest about that in our house because i want my children to grow up to feel more comfortable speaking about money um then it wasn't really until the past few years that that i started developing a relationship with money in the way that you where I was actually very conscious of what was coming in and what was going out and especially now that we don't have a salary I don't have a salary Um, I have to think about it a lot more and what is useful and what is not and how it's good and how we don't. That being said my husband and I don't really believe in you know waiting till you're 65 to enjoy your money. We believe that life is now and you should enjoy it now. And so we don't. We aren't frugal, and we don't, you know, penny pinch and all of these things. That being said, there is still lessons to be learned around money for my children. So that's my personal relationship with money, and then those are my belief systems around it. That that came from a we from my husband and I. He trained me on that because, like I said, I came from the house that was very like, like yeah. strict about it my husband's like no we have to live if you wait till you're 65 you don't know how much longer you have and that's 100 percent true you just don't so
1: yeah i think i've always been taught to be a bit more uh, risk averse when it comes to finance um you don't go and buy anything unless you can afford it um so i'm i'm like i've got a credit card but i don't tend to use it if i want to buy something i make sure i have the money to go and buy it without putting myself in debt for it Obviously my car and my house is the exception in that. Um but yeah, I, I I came from a kind of family and it was you save up for what you want and you buy it. So I'm I similar to Laura, like I'm I'm if I, if I, there's something I want, I'm in a very fortunate position. Most of the time I can go out and buy it because I'm sensible with my money and I save money and I, I put money away so I can buy things. Um but yeah, I'm I'm certainly a bit more Risk averse when it comes to taking on debt and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting, and the reason why this is really important to me is because my family was very similar different different mindsets around money, and um, it really affected family dynamics. My parents got divorced partly because of money being a big a big contributor to that, and just not being on the same page. And so, I appreciate you you both kind of diving into that and, and opening up because I think it's it's it, it helps solve some of the other problems that we kind of stem from not being comfortable about talking about money and finances and our relationships with it. Right. Well, perfect. Anything else that you guys want to leave the audience with? I want to give you guys the last word. And obviously, please let us know how we can connect with you, support um, our Tebula and what you're doing. Um, But I'll leave you guys the last word.
2: Awesome. Well, we... We want people in North America and the UK to download our app because (laughs) Um, all parents out there who have really, really talented and arty children and you want to see them improve in their education and be 21st century ready can benefit from this app. Um, It's coming out. The new tablet app is coming out in October and your children will love it and parents will love it even more because their children will be self-contained and able to pick and choose their steam related activities or their
1: the arts activities in there and really benefit from this combination of looking technology and art. Yeah, I guess as Laura said, all the content on our website right now, the the phone app is out there for parents to capture the kids' artwork. We're just about done building our tablet app, which will be more focused focused on the children and having the resource center in the app and all there. this weekend and next weekend unfortunately they're full but we are launching online live art classes um so there's there's one this Saturday there's one next Saturday but keep an eye on the website there's going to be a lot more of them coming as well so not only the 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 pre-recorded stuff on the app but we are moving into doing live um classes for arts that your kids can join
2: that's at our tabula.com.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And we'll link to it in the show notes, obviously, so that you can find the links to download the apps as well as go to uh, the website. So Laura Graham, thank you so much for sitting down. I really, really appreciate the time today and really enjoyed learning more about your journey and story and what you guys are building.
2: Well, thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. that's it for today's episode of the Silicon Alley podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Laura Page Hamlin and Graham McKay. I love the concept of productive screen time and ensuring that the content our children consume are in their best interest. Now, what really stood out to me is how, despite the challenges facing the team when it came to the Friday the 13th COVID-dominated launch, they found an opportunity amidst the chaos to build and create more innovative products. So lastly, on our way out today, please make sure that you let Graham and Laura and I know what you thought of today's episode via social media or leave a review on Apple Podcasts calling out this episode in particular. As always, share the podcast with others who you think would enjoy it. That's it for today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Have a creative day.
1: You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle.